Chapter 9, Part 2 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. How many of you recognize this? <laughs> yes, don't worry if you can't see it from where you are. You're supposed to be like 10 feet away. So if you're in the back, you can't see. No big deal. You can still see. But we all recognize this. This is the Snellen chart. And it was designed in 1862 by the Dutch ophthalmologist Herman Snellen. Um, as you all know, it is designed to measure our visual acuity, our ability to see. And since then, there have been all these other charts that have been developed that have tried to make a more accurate assessment, but this is the original. And, um, and what it does is it helps, to, uh, helps the doctor to determine uh, the angle of resolution to allow us to, for him or her to know um, how well we can see. And once a score is made, the doctor can then determine if any measures need to be taken to assist us in seeing, right? So if we need glasses, right? If we need contacts, maybe we need surgery. We have um, these types of tools. There are tools to help us with our physical sight. But what happens when we're trying to figure out our spiritual sight? Where are the tools that are designed to help us determine our physical, uh, excuse me, our spiritual sight? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we measure our spiritual acuity? Um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so in many ways, this sermon is part two of last week's sermons. We are still in John chapter nine. Um, last week, we learned about a man who was born blind. He had been blind from birth. Jesus sees him. Jesus heals him. And then um, after he's healed, this man goes and he tells his neighbors and, and, he tell, and they bring him to the Pharisees who are mad that Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And so they question him. And then they bring in his parents to question him some more. And this man stands by his word that Jesus has healed him. He is, um, he, is, uh, he is firm that Jesus has healed him, that Jesus is not a sinner, and that um, he was the man born blind, but now he can see. And he defends Jesus more, and he declares that Jesus must be from God because only someone from God could heal a man born blind. And after he says all this, the Pharisees, they throw him out of the synagogue. Last week, we talked about Jesus healing a man from physical blindness to demonstrate his power to the world. Today, we're dealing with a deeper issue that spans both last week's text and the text that we're going to be talking about today. It's not physical blindness, but it's spiritual blindness. That's what we were talking about today, spiritual blindness. Last week, we saw the man born blind gain his sight. This week, we see Jesus say that those who think they can see might actually be blind. So how is that possible? So if you have your Bibles, we're going back to John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 41. John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? This is Jesus talking to the man who was blind. He had been thrown out by the Pharisees. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your sin remains. 
Now we know as we've been going through the book of John that sometimes, that oftentimes in the book of John, Jesus uses double meanings for words, right? He says one thing, but underneath it, there is something more that's happening. And that's what we find in our text today. Jesus is not talking about physical blindness anymore. He's talking about something deeper. He's hinting at spiritual blindness. And that's what we're talking about today, spiritual blindness. And we're going to talk about what is it? How we know if we possess it? And what is the cure for it? And we're going to help, we're going to allow the text to help us almost design a test for ourselves to determine if we have spiritual blindness and what is the cure. So what is spiritual blindness? Spiritual blindness, this is my definition, but spiritual blindness is our unwillingness to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and Lord over our lives. It is our unwillingness to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Lord over our lives. It's our unwillingness to see that we need Jesus for salvation and for every area of our lives. Now, oftentimes we only think about spiritual blindness for those people who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? The message has been brought to them and they still reject it. And yes, that is spiritual blindness. But even for those of us who are believers— we can still have a form, a level of spiritual blindness. It, for us, is even though we've encountered Jesus and we claim that we believe in him, we remain resistant to his power and his lordship over our lives. So it's possible to be in relationship with Jesus, but to still have fuzzy vision, to still have a darkened vision. So that's what we're talking about today, because the majority of us here in this room are believers already. So we want to talk about our own spiritual blindness. So if you can tell from the text, spiritual blindness has nothing to do with physical sight. In verse 39, Jesus says, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Now, the Pharisees had the ability to physically see, but they were spiritually blind. If you go back and you, and you read John, you'll see all the times that Jesus has encountered the Pharisees and he has demonstrated who he is by his signs and he has given his message and, and yet the Pharisees, they refuse to believe. And that's what makes spiritual blindness so fascinating and yet so sad. The evidence is right before you and yet there is resistance to seeing even what's in front of you with your very eyes. They know for certain that Jesus has healed the blind man, but they won't accept it. They're not physically blind, but they're spiritually blind when it comes to recognizing who Jesus is. They're willing to, they are not willing to see Jesus, to recognize his origin as God's son and his identity as the Messiah. They refused to accept this truth because they had already determined in their mind that Jesus was a blasphemer and they wanted him dead. So they're unwilling to accept the words of this man, uneducated in the ways and the faith of the, and the law of the faith. This man, he had no title. He had no formal training. He had not spent his whole life studying the Torah. His voice was considered inconsequential. His words were of no value and carried no weight. And as spiritually blind, the Pharisees were unable to see God's work right in front of them. So the first test of spiritual blindness is, are you able to see God's work around you? 
Are you able to see God's work around you? The spiritually blind often fail to see God's power at work around them. They deny that God is the one doing the work or they deny the work itself. Here, because they could not deny that the man was now able to see, instead they deny that Jesus is from God. They call him a sinner. And if you can dismiss the one doing the work, you can dismiss the work altogether. Think about politicians, right? If you see a Republican do something and it's a good thing, oftentimes Democrats will never give that credit. And vice versa. They do it, they, they, they do it to each other, right? They have to be in opposition at all times. We know people like this. You might share with them, wow, God is so good. God has healed me, right? And then they say, oh, that was the doctor. That was the medicine. And yes, that is a part of the treatment. But God is our healer. And so they're not willing to recognize God's role in healing, even if you, the one who's been healed, is saying so. The spiritually blind refuse to admit that all life occurs under the banner and the authority of God. This is why it's hard for the spiritually blind to worship because they're not able to see God's hand at work even when it's raining outside. Because the sun and the rain declare the glory of God, amen? Amen. The spiritually blind may also deny the work itself as if it didn't happen at all. If you remember, that's what the Pharisees tried to do initially. They tried to deny that this man was actually blind from birth. They tried to discredit the entire miracle. And that's why they bring in his parents, because if they can discount the work entirely, they do not have to acknowledge God's power. Have you ever met someone? You know, let me say it this way. Have you ever known someone that maybe was in a dark place? Maybe they had an addiction. Maybe they had anger issues. Maybe they were carrying shame. Maybe they were in an abusive relationship. They had, there was some darkness in their life. But then you encounter them years later, and they seem like a totally different person. That God has done a transformative work in them, right? That they're lighter, right? That they're freer, right? That they live differently. Well, if you treat this person like the old person, denying the work that God has done in their lives, that is spiritual blindness. And the more and more we encounter the work of God and we act as if God has not worked, we are spiritually blind. That's denying God's power to transform. Our unwillingness to see what God is doing is spiritual blindness. And our unwillingness to see What we're doing is spiritual blindness. So test number two, are you able to see your own shortcomings? Are you able to see your own shortcomings? The spiritually blind are unwilling to see their own sinfulness. They refuse to see the consequences of their sin. The Pharisees, they interrogate the blind man, though he's done nothing wrong. They throw him out of the synagogue because although he told the truth about the healing and the one who healed him, they didn't want to know that it was Jesus. Right when this man was being brought back into community because he was no longer a beggar and no longer had to sit outside the synagogue, they excommunicate him. He's still not allowed to worship in the house of the Lord. They can't see the pain that their legalism has caused. 
They couldn't see the effects of their sinfulness on others. Our spiritual blindness can keep us from admitting our own sinfulness and the consequences that it has on other people. So test number three, when you encounter God's word, do you think about someone else or do you examine yourself? In other words, as I am talking about spiritual blindness, are you thinking about all the other people in your life who are spiritually blind? Or are you thinking about yourself? (laughs) Because you see, our spiritual blindness, it leaves us with blind spots. On Wednesday, I was, um, I was driving in New York City, and it was chaotic. I don't know what was happening. I was stressed because I was, the traffic had me an hour behind schedule. And there were, you know, there were the trucks and the buses and the taxis and the other cars. And I feel like when school starts again, people forget, like, how to drive or something. I don't know what it was. It was crazy. And then it felt like every person who owned a bike was riding that bike in New York City on Wednesday. Like the city bike people and the delivery people and and people just wanting to exercise. And I saw this man in this red and white striped shirt behind me on a bike. Then I saw him beside me and then he was gone. He'd been on my left side and I, I needed to make this left turn, but I couldn't find him. And I didn't know if he had turned off somewhere or if he had stopped, um, but I didn't want to hit him. So I look in my rear view mirror, because that's what drivers do, right? And I didn't see him. And I looked in my side view mirror and I didn't see him, but I'm still very nervous because I don't want to hit someone. So what do I have to do, good drivers? I have to turn my head to the left. And when I turn my head to the left, I see the man where? He's in my blind spot. And so I had to slow down, let him go before I'm able to make my left turn. The truth is that we all have blind spots. The spiritually blind deny that they do. And they won't take the time to turn their head to look. They refuse to be taught except what they think they already know. And they live with no accountability because they don't think they have anything to improve upon. They are harmful and dangerous because they resist God and his lordship over the entirety of their lives. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, where are our spiritual blind spots? Is it a lack of self-reflection? Is it an inability to offer grace to other people? Is it pushing the limits of grace so that you have no boundaries for your life or for your faith? Is it an unwillingness to see injustice even when it's staring you in the face like it did two weeks ago in that shooting in Florida? Are you rigid and legalistic? Parents, are you so firm and strict with your children that they don't feel like they can come to you and they can talk to you about what they need, about what, how they're feeling. I didn't realize this, but like, um, I've always had really high um, standards for myself. Like they're unreasonably high, and I, I recognize that, right? And I can be a perfectionist, but I try not to project that onto other people. But at different times in my life, some of my friends and even my brother, they've said to me, Sunita, we feel like you're judging us. And I was like, I'm not judging you. (laughs) Like, I love you, right? 
But that's how they felt. That was my blind spot. And so if I love them, and if I want to be aware of my blind spot and improve, right, I've got to change. And so that's what I do, I try to change. And our job, if we are trying to um, discover what our blind spots are, are, is to allow people to speak into our lives. We have to give them permission to speak into our lives. Not be angry with what they say, because they can see what we can't see. We all have blind spots that contribute to our spiritual blindness. And so we have to ask ourselves, where does the spiritual blindness come from? What is its root? And it's rooted in arrogance. It's rooted in arrogance. It's rooted in pride. The Pharisees thought they knew everything there was to know about God, but that's actually impossible. They thought they didn't need Jesus, but we all need a savior. They thought that their study of God gave them relationship with God, but it didn't. The Pharisees assumed that they were not blind because they knew the scriptures, they knew God, they were part of the chosen people of Israel. They believed that they knew so much about God and they understood all of his ways that there was no way that God could possibly heal a person on the Sabbath. They thought they knew how Jesus worked, but that's their limited understanding. They knew the law, but they did not know the spirit and the heart of the lawgiver. God's compassion extended beyond the letter of the law to the needs of the people. But they didn't know that. They had blind spots. My brothers and my sisters, I know it's real comfortable sometimes here in Bergen County, but don't ever think that you have arrived. Don't ever think that you know enough about God. You don't, you can't. Never stop learning, never stop being teachable. We don't say it with our words, but we demonstrate it often, right? I I don't need to attend the small group. I don't need to participate in the life and the ministry of the church. There's nothing for me to gain there. That's arrogance. I've read that before. I, I don't need to read that again as if the Holy Spirit can't speak again. Right? That's arrogance. I don't need to pray or ask God about this because I've done it a million times before. That's arrogance. I can't learn from someone who's not a pastor. I can't learn from someone who's a woman. I can't learn from a child. I can't learn from someone with special needs. Yes, you can. Right? It's arrogance to think that you cannot learn from someone else. We miss what God is doing around us and wants to do in us when we think we know it all. Because the goal is not just to have this head knowledge, but to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about this deeper intimacy with God. I I don't have to be married to know that you should never presume to know everything there is to know about your spouse. Because the minute you think you do, they change. Right? People change. But if you love them, you want to know them. You want to experience life with them. And if we're Christian and we say that we love Jesus, shouldn't we want to know him? Shouldn't we want to love him 
and to have experience with him. It's not just about what we know in our heads. It's what we experience in our hearts, how we get into a deeper love and experience with Jesus. Spiritual blindness is rooted in arrogance. The spiritually blind, they don't even admit that they are blind. Look at verse 41. Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. They think they can see, but they can't. And if you don't think you're blind, you don't think you need healing. If you don't think you're an alcoholic, you don't think you need to turn to help. If you don't think you have anger issues, you don't think you need to talk to someone. If you don't think you're sick, you're not going to go to a doctor. And if you don't think you're a sinner, you're not going to go to Jesus. But let me tell you something. God can't help you if you're not willing to accept that you need him. That's a dangerous place to be. The saying indeed is true that pride goes before the fall. The consequence of spiritual blindness is that you remain in your guilt. You remain a sinner. You remain out of relationship with God. You remain distant. Verse 41 is so clear. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Our unwillingness to admit our blindness keeps us steeped in it. It keeps us in darkness and it keeps us guilty of sin. In verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. What Jesus is saying is that he has come into the world to distinguish those who will receive him from those who will not. Those who know they are blind and know they need a Savior, the sinners, they will see Jesus. They will receive the benefits of salvation. But those who see or think they can see, the arrogant, they will actually miss out on Jesus. They will be blind to who he is. So, you know, when you read the book of John, you've got to pay attention. And I, I, I like to read slowly and really dive into these words. And so I, I was confused when I read the term. Oh, if you can put that back up again, I'm sorry. I was confused when I read the term become blind. And I wondered, what does that mean? And so I, I thought about it, and, and I thought about Pharaoh and Moses. Do you remember the story? Remember how God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people of Israel go, right? And then Pharaoh refuses, and so God had to send 10 signs, and it's only after the 10th sign that Pharaoh agreed to let them go, but then he reneges on his word, right? And so but what's, hap- what's interesting is that the Bible says that eventually God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would never agree to let the people go. And that always seemed unfair to me until I realized that God allows us to become who our choices lead us to be. God allows us to become who our choices lead us to be. So first, Pharaoh resisted God's power right before his very eyes. But he did it so often that his no became permanent. Since he refused to see God, he no longer could. 
And the same is with the Pharisees. Time and time again, Jesus told them who he was. He demonstrated it with signs and they refused to see him. The more and more we resist God and the transformation that he wants to do in us, the more our hearts are hardened. And the more and more we refuse to see God's hand at work or refuse to acknowledge him, the more our eyes darken and we become blind. Resistance to God becomes easier because you become familiar with it. And so rather than us living in the light, we live in the darkness. We remain in our sin. We become blind. But the good news is that there is a cure for spiritual blindness. Praise God that he always provides us with a cure. We have a savior that came to save us from spiritual blindness. Just as much as he came to heal the blind man and and just as much as he was on mission to try to get the Pharisees to see, he wants us to see. We see it it worked out in this man who'd been healed from physical blindness, but he also embodies spiritual blindness. I mean, spiritual healing. The man gained not only physical sight, but spiritual sight. And see, here's the good thing about Jesus, because physical sight would have been enough. That is enough to praise God about. But Jesus says, no, there's more. I want you to have more. I don't just want you to be physically healed. I want you to be spiritually healed so that you can see me, so that you can experience me. So, so what is, and we're going to do two quick things. How does this blind man teach us to see Jesus? How does he show us the cure? Number one He calls us to retell, to retell. The Pharisees try to dismiss Jesus and all that he has done. And this man retells his story over and over and over again. He does not stop telling them what Jesus has done for him. He doesn't deny it. And he doesn't deny who did it. When you go back and you read the first 35 verses of this chapter, you see that as soon as this man is healed, he starts telling people. He tells his neighbors, he tells his parents, he tells the Pharisees. He acknowledges that it's Jesus and he continues to acknowledge that it's Jesus. He names that Jesus was the one who healed him and he will not back down from that. When we see God at work, we have to acknowledge that it is him. And because God is always at work, we've always got something to say. So the Pharisees in their arrogance, they won't admit what they see, but the man, he won't deny it. We have to get into the habit of acknowledging God's hand at work in our lives. Because the more you acknowledge it, the more you will see. We actually gain greater vision when we start to acknowledge what we already see. And next and finally, not only do we see the cure in retelling, we see the cure in openness. We see the cure in openness. We have to open ourselves to God. It requires letting go of what you think you know about Jesus so Jesus can show you who he is right now. It's putting down our pride and our arrogance. It's letting go of our need for control so that we can humbly receive from Jesus Christ. The Pharisees boasted in their confidence and in their knowingness, the man, he comes before Jesus empty. The empty man 
is filled. The full Pharisees have no room for Jesus. It's opening ourselves up to the truth that we are sinners. It's acknowledging and repenting of our arrogance. It's submitting to God's rule over our lives in every way and following his voice. It's being open to the wonder of God and open to the ways in which he is moving in and around us. It's being teachable. It's about allowing other people to speak into your life about your blind spots. We have to rewire ourselves. We have to open ourselves through obedience, not to say no to God, but to practice saying yes to God. It's about the self-examination and the hard questions. It's about when you read this word, when you hear the message, you're asking, how does this apply to me? If you took emotionally healthy spirituality, you might remember the prayer of examine. Ask yourself those questions at the end of the evening. Where did I see God today? And where did I feel far away from God? We have to be open to being transformed by God. The man's heart, he was open to God. Look at verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, I just love the fact that Jesus found him. Okay, sorry. And he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. The man's heart was open to faith in Jesus. He's curious. He says, tell me so that I may believe in him. He acknowledges that he doesn't know everything. He's open to a greater commitment in relationship with Jesus. And he, he doesn't just confess faith. He confesses a relationship. Are you open to Jesus? Are you open to the ways in which he wants to speak to you? Because this is what makes all the difference. When you turn to Jesus, not just the first time, but time and time and time again in your life, you will begin to see him more clearly. Amen. Your spiritual eyes will sharpen. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you journey with Jesus, the better you will come to understand who he is. This is how we grow in grace and in love and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to see Jesus, you have to experience life with him. Because the truth is not everyone does. The man who was healed, he could have been healed and just went about the rest of his life physically healed. And many people do that. God does something wonderful in their lives. He intervenes in some powerful way. And as soon as it's over, they walk away as if God never did anything for them. But this man shows us that when God dares to come down and intervene in our lives, to heal us, to save us, that it is incumbent upon us to walk into deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how we see him. That's how we gain spiritual sight. And you want to know how I know? I know because I love, I told you, I love to read deeply into the word. Let's go to verse 37. 
Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Let's keep that verse up. That word seen is an important word. In the, in the, the 41 verses in chapter 9, the word see or its conjugate is, is stated 11 times. 10 times the Greek word that's used for see is blepo. Blepo means your physical sight, your actual ability to see. But in verse 37, the word seen is horeo. In the Greek, the word is horeo. It's more than physical sight. Horeo means to perceive, to know, to become acquainted with by experience. The man didn't just see Jesus physically. He perceived him. He knew him. He was acquainted with Jesus by experience. The sight that this man possesses is not just physical sight. It is horeo. It is deeper. And that's where Jesus wants to take all of us. Not just that we see him in a physical way, but that we have come to know and to grow in relationship with him in such a powerful way that we perceive him, that we know him, that we have experience with him. And so our eyes are now more focused. Our vision is a little bit more sharp. We can see more clearly who Jesus is in our lives. That's the goal. That Jesus will say to us, now you have seen me. He's the one speaking to you. Amen. My brothers and my sisters, it's a process. But it works. It happens. It's available to us. That God doesn't want to leave us spiritually blind. He wants our vision to be sharpened in him. Amen. But we've got to let go of the arrogance. Got to let go of the control. We've got to let some people speak into our lives. Help us see our blind spots. And we've got to be open to the ways in which God wants to move and is moving in our lives so that one day we can hear from Jesus, from our master, from our Lord, you have seen me. Amen. Let us pray. God, I thank you for the richness of your word. That it goes so much deeper, God, than what we can imagine. God, I thank you that you are the almighty God, powerful and sovereign, perfect in all your ways. Big God, awesome God, forgiving God, loving God. And yet you want us to see you. You want us to be in relationship with you. You want us to perceive you and to know you, God. You want us to experience you, Heavenly Father. 
And so God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters that you will help us to see where we are spiritually blind. That you will bring people alongside of us who will speak into our lives, who will help us to see our blind spots. God, I pray that we would have humble hearts to be open to what you are doing in our lives, to what you want to do in our lives. And God, I pray that we will never forget to retell the story over and over and over again. God, I thank you that you're faithful. And I thank you, God, that because you did it for this man in the Bible, God, we know that you can do it for us. God, I thank you that you are still helping us to see. Give us sharper vision. Give us greater sight. Help us to focus on you, God. And God, as Pastor Doug prayed earlier, God, I pray that we might feel your love throughout this process. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.